everybody. Welcome to the Tuesday edition of Winners and Winers Radio. How you guys doing? Man, it is uh, it's good to be here. I am Scott Steen, lead handicapper over at winnersandwiners.com. And I'm Scott Reichel, co-host for the show and senior handicapper over at winnersandwiners.com. And together, we make up Winners and Winers Radio, our deal, our bargain with you. Give us an hour and we'll give you the winners. As long as C.J. Beather doesn't come in in the fourth quarter, Scott. I had the first half for my YouTube video, so I know you had that as a premium, so could have been worse. Cool story, bro. Yep, we should we uh, we deserve we deserved a better fate, but just another heartbreaking preseason tale. So anyway, other than that, how'd your day go? Did you do okay? Went well. I had the Saints first half. Oh, very. <laughs> very good. Uh, looking at everything else, it was fine. Baseball, I had the over in the Pirates game, which ended up winning, but I really took it light because it was a pretty uneventful card. Picked my spots, went 2-0, not really much to complain, move on to the next one. I did the opposite, Scott. I literally handicapped every game on the board. <laughs> I did. I don't know what possessed me last night. I, I handicapped every every baseball game. Of course, I had the Yankees as a premium. That hit. But the other six games, I did I did a pick on every one of them. And I'm going to come out okay. We get 4-2, four and, four and two, plus we hit a little plus money play with the Royals there at about plus 216. So it's a beautiful thing. I'll, t- I'll take it. I don't know what possessed me to do that, but... Yeah, I won't be doing that again, probably for a long time. All right, my friend. Well, we've got a great show lined up for you guys. We're going to do continue our conference previews as far as college football goes, taking a look today at the Big 12. I guess that's still a Power 5 conference, right, Scott, for a couple more years? It's closer than the Pac-12. Yeah, <laughs> Pac-12 will be Thursday, so... We're pretty excited. We're going to do the uh, Big Ten tomorrow with our friend Joe Duffy of Offshore Insiders. Great guy. Really unique system as far as handicapping goes, so I'm looking forward to that. Maybe even talk a little NFL. Of course, we're going to talk baseball. We'll uh, recap a little bit of the Saints game from last night. And uh, yeah, it sounds like a sounds like a full day, Scott. So without further ado, let's get to it, shall we? Let's take a look before we get rolling at all the guys and all the games that didn't work out well yesterday. You thought you had a winner right up until you the time you didn't. Oh, we can certainly relate to that, can't we? It is time once again for Call the Cops. All righty, fantastic, Scott. Well, let's get it rolling, shall we? Hey, if you had the Saints minus four, that sounds vaguely familiar. You are in great shape. They led by 14 at halftime. They led by 20 after the third quarter. And then, Scott, the man of the hour appeared. He took his cape off and came in. (laughs) They outscored the Saints 18-zip in the fourth quarter. Saints won 23-21. No one cares because they didn't cover the number. If you had the Saints minus four, eh, you might have to call the county sheriff to get them out to your farm right there, Scott. Horrible beat. I think it was even worse because the Jaguars scored a touchdown to cut it to four, and they went for two just to give you the illusion of a push draw, and then they ended up scoring the two-point conversion anyway, so they gave you false hope for a push no matter what, Yeah, and that still didn't help you because they converted. Yeah, why... I don't even understand why you do that, but yeah, you do it because in preseason you do anything to avoid overtime. Well, I guess, I guess it leaves the uncomfortable decision then out of the other coach's hands. If he's, you know, cause we talked about that before in the game that was, I can't remember which game it was, but it was 16, 13 last week. And the team that was driving ended up, you know, puking it up, turning it over on downs or was something at the, you know, at the 45, but you know, they were driving for a potential game tying field goal, which I'm not sure what they would have done there. I guess, Kick the field goal as everybody shakes hands and goes home. But all right, go ahead. Give me an, give me another one. Cheer me up. So looking at the second one, you had the Rockies taking on the Cubs, and if you had the Rockies money line, you were in good shape as well. You're up four to one against the Cubs Triple A team, basically, and yet the Cubs scored three runs to tie the game in the eighth inning. Rockies did nothing in the top of the ninth, and then Ortega hits a walk off two run bomb. So whether you had the Rockies money line or the Rockies reverse run line. Didn't matter because the Rockies blew a three-run lead and lost six to four. It's a beautiful thing. I actually called for the Cubs to uh, to get that victory right there, Scott. So, and uh, I think I think Ortega 
may qualify for this, Scott. He had the walk-off home run, right? Yep. He, I believe he is going to be the better's hero for today. Not going to lie, folks. We just look for a reason to play that. <laughs> we really do. It's a great sound effect. We do like the fanfare, but that was a nice job by Ortega. Scott, we're going to finish up the cop segment with the Texas Rangers plus one and a half. Oof. Well, you know what? On the other on, on the other bad beat, we had the right side of that. We were on the Cubs there. We got the win. We were on the wrong side of this one almost. If you had the Rangers plus one and a half against the Red Sox, you were still getting plus money because that was a ridiculous number when it went off. Rangers led four to three, two outs, bottom of the 10th, man on first, double to tie the game, 4-4 going into the bottom of the 11th. Rarely ends well in these situations for the good guys. And today was no exception as the Red Sox hit a walk-off. Gern Pickern. <laughs> Clear the bases. Got a four-run home run. Rangers lose 8-4 to four if you had them on the money line, the reverse run line, uh, plus 2.5, plus 3.5. All those were great bets right up until the last pitch, and then they weren't. Call the cops. I want to know how many people who won with the Red Sox run line knew that Travis Shaw was on the Red Sox? 14. Okay. okay. You did a survey before. Okay. I, think a ra- I think a random question deserves a random answer, my friend. Well, let's talk about the other half, Scott. These are the places, this is the place you want to be. These are the nice, easy victories. You didn't have to sweat them at all because you were sitting in the rocking chair. So, the first one wasn't a baseball match between the Yankees and the Braves, and if you had the under nine, you were in good shape because Montgomery and Yanoa were both very good. You had two runs combined through the first five innings. The Yankees scored two runs in the sixth. The Yankees scored two more runs in the eighth. So, the Yankees did their part. They scored five, but unfortunately, four over betters. The Braves only scored one. So, the game ended five to one if you had the under nine. Chapman didn't even give you a sweat in the ninth inning. No. Chapman actually retired one, two, three. Nice and easy. Mowed him down, buddy. Absolutely mowed him down. So we were on the right side of that. We had the Yankees plus 130. And you talk about beating a line move. I think this went off at, at Yankees minus 111, 114, depending on where you got it. So worked out well. Didn't work out well for the books. They tried to adjust. Didn't matter. Couldn't do it. Yankees took care of business. I got to be honest with you, Scott, that, that Brave series against Baltimore really kind of gave me pause because they did not beat up on Baltimore at all. They sure they swept them, but it looks like they left a lot on the table. And that was absolutely the case against the Yankees. Jordan Montgomery, Elon. Scott, if you had the Royals on the money line, Hey, I did at plus two seventeen. Thank you very much. They led four to one after seven innings. They led seven to one after eight innings. No sweat because you got that rock solid Royals bullpen involved. (laughs) Well, they did it tonight. Royals end up winning that one 7-1 to one over the Astros. Congratulations. If you had the Royals' money line, you're getting better than 2-1 to one on your money, and you had a nice, easy rocking chair win. And the last one, we're going to switch gears and talk about some Spanish La Liga soccer. Woohoo! And if you had Osasuna and Celtic Vigo, oh, you know I did. All, hi to everybody watching internationally. You know, we do enjoy some Hola. pitch every now and then. Como estas? Anyway, if you had the under two and a half, it was pretty easy because you had zero goals in the first half and zero goals in the second half. So that's a total of no goals. That's not very. Many. I heard it's pretty tough to. Yeah, I heard it's pretty tough to score. Yeah. If you don't get any shots on net, and Celtic Vigo had a zero shots on net as the game ended zero zero. So for the game, like, for the entire game, they had the goalie of Osasuna could have brought his bed with him and taken a nap because they didn't get one shot on net. I could have literally played goalie. Yep, you literally could have. Wow, wow, man, it's never too late. <laughs> All right, Scott. Well, if you watched that put preseason football game, I hope you enjoyed it, but <laughs> there was kind of an interesting statement, and this really lit you up. I'm not going to lie. You were, you were so angry you actually tweeted about it. You angry tweeted, Scott. So... I- I, I did. I, I don't know if it was full on anger or just roasting people that get paid millions of dollars to be bad at their job. Well, let's talk about it. Let's see who's wearing the golden feed bag today, Scott. It is time once again for the donkey of the day. 
like he's just he gets progressively madder. It's like if he was watching that football game, that's the sounds he would make. So, Scott, you were watching the football game, and our old pal Lewis Riddick had a little something to say for you, and uh, you didn't care for it. What, what exactly did he say? So I think this bothers me the most because I did broadcast some games non-professionally in college. So I do have a bit of broadcasting experience. What what, what does that mean? You had like a cassette recorder and you broadcast the games from the TV or? No, I did it for the uh, student radio station. I went to the, I went to the game. They gave me a booth and I was the color commentator. The the voice of the voice of the Badgers. I guess that's why it bothers me because they have people on professional TV who just can't really say anything articulate. But anyway, Steve Levy was asking a question to Lewis Riddick. The game was basically over, not for betters, but for the sake of people who were watching the game. Late fourth quarter, Trevor Lawrence's day is done, and Steve Levy turns to Lewis Riddick and he asks him a very simple question. What did you learn from Trevor Lawrence tonight? First road game in NFL preseason. He had a couple of ups and downs. And Lewis Riddick could have mentioned maybe the mobility could have mentioned maybe some of the athleticism, the arm accuracy, stuff like that. He chose to go with a little bit more of a personality characteristic. And his response, word for word, was, quote, we learned that the kid is a competitor, end quote. Now, the reason why this bothered me was because, one, that's just a that's just a really a bland statement that means absolutely nothing that's completely subjective second of all are you making the case that the guy who won the national title as a freshman in college and who made the college football playoffs in each of his previous seasons in college is not a competitor (laughs) and you learned that because you watched him against new orleans in preseason football well i don't understand what that statement even means because if we all learned that Lawrence is a competitor because of this preseason game. That means that everything we watched about college and the fact that he was taken number one means that we didn't realize that Lawrence was a good competitor up until this moment, right? I kind of had a suspicion he might be a competitor when he was a freshman and they handed Alabama their worst loss in the Lou Saban era in the national championship game, and he was named offensive MVP as a freshman, I thought maybe, hey, this kid, I think he's a competitor. So it's good to know I was a little ahead of the curve there, Scott, because apparently Lewis Reddick found that out last night. Now, the reason why it also bothers me is because of the fact that Reddick, A, is on the Monday Night Football you know, crew and they get paid a decent amount of money, and B, he was also kind of rumored to potentially be a GM in the NFL, and I know I heard his name circulating a little bit for the last couple of years. I, I've never met Lewis Riddick, so I'm sure he's a nice guy, but probably knows football. Pay, if you're getting paid millions of dollars, you can literally hire me for about 75% less, if not more. And I'll give you an actual answer. Maybe it's just because of the fact that ESPN after the booger experiment and how awful he was in the booth for about two, three years, can we find anybody that actually can say, I'd say, thought-provoking answers in a booth? Is that well, so hard? Well, they didn't like that, Scott. They tried Dennis Miller for a couple seasons. They didn't. They didn't care for that. They didn't care for thought-provoking answers either. It's just the fact that they have millions of dollars in budget, and it seems like every year in the booth, there's a lot left to be desired. How how many broadcasting teams do you like better than the Monday Night Team? Decent amount, actually. Yeah, I'm, I'm thinking probably four, five. You and I'm assuming ESPN has probably a larger budget than some of the other networks that have their actual crews in place. Mm, I don't know about that. I think I think they. I think it's close. All the bu- the budgets have a lot of money, but yeah, that's it's ridiculous. <laughs> we learned that Trevor Lawrence is a competitor in his second preseason game against the second string New Orleans defense. No, no, we did not learn that then. We knew it before, and even if you didn't, there was nothing that showed he was a competitor tonight. Scott, it was just an average uh, preseason performance by a rookie quarterback. Pretty much, but that's why it bothered me. I just thought the question was so open-ended, he could have taken it in so many different directions. Right. And he chose to go in that direction, yeah. which was just an awful answer. Could have, give, could have given some football answers. Learned he has tighter windows to throw into 
Learn that the pressure comes from all sides. Learn to, you know, whatever. Yeah. Yeah, Maybe to slide so he doesn't get hit after that nine-yard run he had in the first half. But no, we learned about his competitiveness. Yeah, there you go. All right, very good. That is is our donkey of the day. Congratulations, Lewis Riddick. Wear your golden feed bag with pride. All right, guys, quick reminder, you are listening to Winners and Winers Radio. Mm, Give us an hour, and we'll give you the winners. So, it's a... Scott, I wanted to do this. I wanted to do this story yesterday, and I, I was I was coveted out. So we we're, we've kind of we've kind of got a, a, a informal rule here on the show that we just do one COVID story per day because that's really about all we want to talk about. And I know it's probably one more than you guys want to hear, but there's an interesting one, and I, I want to get your take on this. NASCAR, they've got kind of a different COVID rule. They state that uh, their COVID rule says if you're unvaxxed and you are exposed to a positive person. Even if you don't test positive, you still have to quarantine for seven days, Scott. Now, the uh, NASCAR playoff starts in a couple of weeks. Is it fair that your whole season could be out the window because somebody in your orbit tested positive? For example, one of the drivers doing his weekly podcast, one of the podcast crew tested positive. Boom, he's out for he's out for a week. So... If that happens and you're in the playoffs and all of a sudden now you're out of the playoffs, is that is that fair? Is that is that a legitimate thing for NASCAR to do? You got a problem with that? I think it's a little bit much, uh, mostly because of the fact that you individually have tested negative. So it's not like you're personally infected. It's just a potential risk. But the thing I have that's a bit of a, I'd say, a conundrum that I have with the actual rule, just to remind me, how many drivers are in a car at a time? Just the one, I believe, yeah. So isn't the goal when you're driving to not get too close to the other drivers? I would say you're I would say you are very low risk during the race. So can we just agree that even if a driver would hypothetically have COVID, as long as he would social distance himself maybe after the race or before the race from other drivers, why does it really matter? Honestly, if if you're outside and you're eight to 10 feet away from people, you're fine. Your, your chances of picking up COVID from everything that I have read and from all the research that I've been made aware of are very small. It's, it's all about air circulation and things like that. So I would, uh, I would certainly agree with that, Scott. So I'm not trying to oversimplify it, but I just feel like if you're going to be in a car for the actual race, where you come in contact with nobody, at least in person, for about four hours and change. Yeah. I don't really see what the issue is. Well, you know, I mean, I, I get it because you're going to interact with your crew and you're and you're not going to be outside all the time. And you, I understand it. I ju- I'm just saying I feel like based on the sport itself where you're not constantly interacting with other drivers, et cetera. Right. It might be a little bit tough to have a full-on outbreak on your hands from multiple teams, et cetera. So I think this seems a bit excessive. I'm fine with them taking some precaution, but this seems a little bit much. Yeah, I would I would agree with that. And you know, and you and you see you see umpires in Major League Baseball wearing masks. I mean that that doesn't really make any sense. It really, really doesn't. You're you're number one. You're almost always six feet away from everybody. Number and you two, also just keep the umpire mask on. You're you're the, the like the home plate mask. Yeah, I don't believe that's a OSHA approved mask. I don't think that works. Just saying in general, though, you have to wear a mask on top of another mask while you're calling the game. Exactly. Yes, you have to. You have okay. to double mask. That's that's the. That's rule. probably my favorite part, by the way, is when you have a manager that's about to yell at the home plate umpire, and he's got to pause to put his mask on before he goes back to cursing the guy out. Yeah. Nice. Yes, that's fantastic, isn't it? Mm-hmm. All right. So you know, I thought Joey Logano had one of the one of the best takes on there because he. He said, "You know what? I don't really want to get vaccinated. It's, it's, you know, I don't. I think I'm healthy, and you know, all the reasons that you have for not getting vaccinated." But he said, "I realized how many people depend on me, my crew members, my team, their families, the sponsors. So I thought that I owed it to them to get vaccinated and make sure that I didn't get knocked out of the playoffs over something stupid. So I thought I thought that was a pretty good take. It's a good answer." Yeah, I thought I, I thought it was as well. It's a better it's a better answer than Lewis Riddick. <laughs> we learned that Joe Logano is a competitor out there today, Scott. Mm-hmm. All right, my friend. Well, kind of a kind of a fun thing here. ESPN came out and they ranked all 
eight NFL divisions based on their own FPI, the ESPN Football Power Index. I'm not going to bore you and everyone else about what makes up the FPI, but um, I and you and I, we have not talked about this. I, I found this story, and I did not let you know the order because I want to get uh, your ranking and your opinion as we go through these. So take it, take it from me. First time I'm hearing it. Yes, it's absolutely true. We're not, we're 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 not. Uh, it's not. We're not trying to build the suspense. This is pretty much the deal. So, first of all, what's the best division in football, Scott? It's the NFC West. It is the NFC West. That is correct. Um, the Rams are seventh in FPI. Niners eighth. Seattle ninth. And the Arizona Cardinals are 21st. So now this is where it gets interesting. What is the second best division? Um, okay. I'm trying to think if I should think as long as it's not the NFC East, then this thing, I, you know, I might have some merit to it. I'm going to say, I don't know when here, AFC East. Nope. It is the okay. AFC North. Okay. Ravens. Oh, okay, well, that makes sense. Ra- okay, Ravens, Browns, Steelers, and, of course, the Bengals. I was trying to think a bit outside the box. I thought maybe they might have overvalued New England. And You weren't You weren't that. missing it by far, my friend, because the AFC, the AFC East is third. Okay. And they were relatively close. The FPI ranking overall for the North was 3.6 to 2.4 for the AFC East. They have the Bills as the third best team in the NFL. The Patriots is 10th. Dolphins is 11th. And the Jets, Scott, where do they rank them? 28th. 30th. Okay. 30th. All right. So, yeah, not bad, not bad. And then fourth? Uh, I'm going to go with the NFC North. Nope. AFC West. Okay. AFC sure. West. And it's just, you get you get ding they they don't like their rating system uh, does not like the broncos or the raiders at all bronco uh, you bron- know the more and more you're mentioning this the more i'm kind of liking this rating system okay all right okay i feel like we're on the same page for most of these scott scott down with the fpi all right so now we've got uh now we've got uh, over half of them we got half of them done we'll start off with number 5 who's that going to be i'm going to keep guessing the nfc north nope nfc south okay nfc south Buccaneers, Saints, but just no value at all on the Panthers and Falcons, twenty third and twenty fourth, respectively. No. I don't, I don't, I don't agree with that one. I, th- I think the NFC North is better than that division. You think the NFC North is better than that one? I get the fact that Tampa Bay is defending Super Bowl champions. We both think New Orleans is going to have a bit of a down year. Yes. We know Atlanta is going to be awful. Yes. And we know that Carolina is supposed to be pretty bad. Agree with all those. Now, Green Bay is probably the second best team in the NFC. Maybe you can argue second or third, depending on what team you like out of the NFC West. But Green Bay is up there. Minnesota had a down year last year, but I think we would agree that they'll probably be close to 9-8 and eight or 10-7, and seven, mm-hmm. give or take. So Chicago is a team that, even if you don't like the quarterback situation, probably should find a way to win six or seven games. And Detroit's mm-hmm. awful. I mean, we, we know Detroit's bad. So is that are, is that your official guess for sixth? Yes. The NFC North. Yes. Congratulations, you've you've guessed it every time, and now you have finally have it right. Fantastic. Yeah, they. I, I would I would take the North over the South, but that's just me. Well, there's. What <laughs> about you? I think history kind of bears taking out the, the North over the South. That is that is definitely true. I got history on my side. <laughs> that was the Civil War. that was a good, that was a good play a century and a half ago. <laughs> what what do you think of that comparison? I know it's tough to compare full divisions, but so I just think uh, the North. I just think the South is so top heavy. Yeah, I think the, the Bucks are. I think the Bucks are arguably better than the Packers. Yeah, I agree with that. But then it gets really sketchy for me. Are the Saints better than the Vikings? I, I think it's close. It's okay. You can call that one a push. I think the Bears are just a lot better than the Falcons or Panthers. Yeah, the Bears are better than the Panthers, and you can even make the argument. Well, no, I'm not going to make you that argument. <laughs> I'm not going to say Detroit's better than Atlanta. You can make an argument if both of them win, or either team win four games. That's a good season. Like both teams are going to be really bad. Yep. So now we've come down to just two conferences left. It's the NFC East and it's the AFC South. Which one's worse? Oh, boy. I'm going to say that the AFC South is better. It's like, would you rather date an ugly girl or a fat girl? 
I'm going to say the AFC South is better than the NFC East. Well, you're going to be incorrect. Uh, you know, I just assumed that they were going to punt on the NFC East. No. Can you blame me? It's a, it's a real dogfight there. The NFC East is minus 5.8. The AFC South's got minus 10.6. So according to ESPN, it ain't even close. Okay. They've got the Titans as the best team at 12th, the Colts at 16th, the Jags at 29th, and the Texans dead last. So not good. I think the Jets are better than the Jaguars, but that's just me. You think the Jets are better than the Jaguars? Well, they have them ranked ahead of the Jaguars. I thought you said. Oh that. no, I'm sorry. The Jets are thirtieth. You're right. You're right. Yeah, yeah. I think the Jets are better than the Jaguars, but I think it's close. They're both not going to be good. Okay, so you agree with what do you say? Half of the rankings, pretty close. I think they're fine. Okay. I mean, then again, the divisions we mentioned, I was usually within one or two, so it wasn't like anything was a shocker to me. I mostly was just trying to kick fun at the NFC East because that's kind of what everybody does. So I thought that the ratings were going to support that. Right. The AFC South is tough because you have two teams that could make the playoffs and the other two are god-awful, where the NFC East, all four teams could hypothetically make the playoffs, but arguably three out of the four are just bad. Well, not at the same time. Let's be clear. Not at the same time. They're not the, not the same year. No. Two of those teams aren't making the playoffs. If Dak's injured, then the Cowboys are completely screwed. Washington might be a fluke. We don't know. We'll see how Fitzpatrick does there. And we know the Eagles and Giants are going to be bad. You think the you think the Redskins, excuse me, you think the Washington, I don't know how many years that's going to take. You think the Washington football team, can you arguably say they're better than they were last year? I think you make the argument because Alex Smith, great story and all, was awful behind center last year. Yeah, I think I, I think at their at their best, I think Alex Smith maybe is a tick better than Fitzpatrick, but he was not at his best last year. No question about it. You, t- yep. you, you took away his mobility, which is a huge part of his game, to be able to to, to move and, and slide out of the pocket. So I think it's possible that offense is going to be better. It's still a great defense, dude. Yeah, that's fair. I think they I think they're going to surprise some people. I really I really do. So, all right, very good. And of course, Scott, we uh, this is we've got to give a special shout out to Tony Finau, one of one of uh, golf Twitter's favorite plays scott and it and he never ever wins except what happened scott he won yesterday he won he won in a playoff over cameron smith and the northern trust open by the way he had eight runner-up finishes in that period three of them were playoff losses and 39 top 10 so now that he's finally broken his re cherry to cherry can he uh is he back on the list of uh Guys that have a shot at winning a major? I'm going to go this far. If you bet on Finau to win a major, I'm not going to roast you as badly as I did in previous years. Because he won something. He's got something to stand by. I don't know about you or if you were following the tournament because a couple of rain issues during the course of the week kind of delayed play, and it got a little bit tough to follow. But I thought Finau was going to choke. Right. I hear Tony Finau playoff. I'm betting the other guy. What what could go wrong? Like I'm betting the other guy, and three playoff losses during that streak kind of proves that point. But wasn't it a massive playoff too? It was a. I don't exactly remember how many holes it went, but I know that it was definitely a competitive play. No, I mean, but didn't it start with like a number of guys. Weren't there eight guys in the playoff or something ridiculous? No, that I believe was last week. I got to get out more. <laughs> But no, there are only two okay. in this one. But uh, it was competitive. You had a couple of shots to win it, but Finau eventually came out on top. The only issue I have with betting Finau in majors is that, that I'm curious since he finally won another event on the tour, how badly his odds are going to drop right. for other tournaments because that's always a main factor. You can try to predict when the guy is going to get back to the winner's circle, but at the end of the day – if you were going to keep getting prices like on Ricky Fowler, who still hasn't won in a couple of years, and you're going to be getting 100 to 1, 120 to 1, stuff like that, and then suddenly he wins a minor tournament and his odds drop from 40 to 1. to 1 to 40 to 1, yeah. then even if you bet the guy, you're losing so much value, I just don't think it's worth it. So Finau, I can understand the bet now because maybe he'll stop choking on Sunday since he finally remembers what winning feels like, but... I got to wonder, he was 50-1 to going into this tournament. I got to assume for majors, because of his consistency, he'll probably be around, what, like 30-1? to Yep. 
Yep, probably in the 25 to 30 to 1 range. You're cutting it close on how much meat is still on the bone. I agree. I totally agree. All right, guys. Well, stay tuned because right after this break, we're going to be back and break down the Big 12. Don't go anywhere. So, Scott, last time we were out in Vegas, every time we were trying to have a nice meal, what is the number one question you kept hearing whenever we were at dinner? Are you going to finish that? What? Appetizers, entrees, sides. You're always asking if I was going to finish what I was eating. Okay. Hey, in my defense, you eat slower than a turtle on Xanax. But, okay, let me make the question a little easier. What's the number one question you would get from people when you tell them you work for winners and whiners? What's winners and whiners? Exactly. So what do you tell them? I tell them that it is the place to go for your sports betting needs. They have breakdowns on every single game in a variety of sports, basketball, football, college football. We know that's coming up. It's been really a great opportunity to just get better at sports betting, and they give you all the opinions that you need. Yeah, see, and the thing I like about it is the fact that they don't just inundate you with numbers that have no context. You know, you go to some places and they just throw numbers, numbers, numbers. But they don't tell you what they mean, and you just kind of your eyes glaze over. But these guys, not only do they use those same numbers and put them in context, but they're fantastic writers. They're great handicappers. You mentioned college football coming up. That's my favorite time to use winners and whiners because they do every FBS game every single week. It is a fantastic site. Scott, what's the best part about winners and whiners? It's absolutely free to use. That's right. It is absolutely free to use. Winnersandwiners.com. You absolutely have to check it out. You need to make this site part of your daily handicapping regimen. If you are not doing it, you are absolutely leaving money on the table. So, see? That wasn't that hard at all, right? Sure. You're still getting none of my fries. What? I, I, didn't, I didn't say a word. I saw you looking at them. Seriously, dude, it's it's been like an hour. If you're not going to eat them... Oh, man, that's brutal. All right, fine. Seriously, though, winnersandwiners.com. Go there or be square. Welcome back to the second half hour of Winners and Winers Radio. Give us an hour, and we'll give you the winners. And we're getting ready to do that right now as Scott and I delve into the Big 12. Man, are, uh, are you ready? Is it? Can we, just, can we just be done with this in about 30 seconds? Go, Oklahoma. All right, buddy, back to you. I might surprise you. So, no, we can't do that. Okay, you got, you've got somebody. You've got K-State this year? You taking my Wildcats? You wish I had K-State. God bless no, you. I, I know I know who you have. I Is know Colin Klein going back to college? I don't think so. I, I know who you've got. You're taking, I'm sure you do, because there's really not many teams to choose from. You're, you're taking Texas. No, you're not. You're taking Iowa State. Take me home country road. Yeah. I'm not actually taking West Virginia, oh. no. I'm, I'm, I'm taking Iowa State. What? <laughs> I'm, I'm taking Iowa State, no. I'm not, I'm not taking Almost heaven, Iowa City. No, yeah, actually. Yeah, pretty much. No, there are names, anyway, but... I don't know if you want to introduce the conference first, or we can just get into it, however you want to. Ladies and gentlemen, it's the Big 12. All right, so anyway, I'll well, go through the favorites. Uh, you know, okay, you want... so it's Oklahoma, Iowa State, Texas, Oklahoma State, TCU, West Virginia, Kansas State, Texas Tech, Baylor, and Kansas. That is your uh big 12 um scott kick it off buddy all right looking at some of the favorite odds i shopped around oklahoma is a minus favorite because they should be uh minus 165 on bet mgm was the best price that i found Oof. i found iowa state at plus 290 on DraftKings. that was mostly between 250 and 290 depending on which book you had and i found texas at 12 to 1 on FanDuel. shop around on that one because DraftKings had seven to one or seven and a half to one and I found 12 to one next door. So shop around, you'll find yourself almost two times the value there. But my pick for this one is going to surprise you, but I kind of gave it away. I, I like Iowa State. Okay. At the end of the day, Oklahoma, I know, is the team that has won each of the last four conference titles. Oklahoma's won eight of the last nine. I get the fact that Rattler's back at quarterback. They got Brooks back at running back after he opted out last season. Talented skill position players. The offensive line's a bit inexperienced because they lost a couple of key offensive linemen from the year prior and the secondary with Oklahoma and pretty much every team in this conference I put down the word unpredictable 
you can just say bad half the time and you're really not wrong either because the big 12 has defenses that aren't good and i feel like that's a pretty honest way to put it isn't it well is it the defenses are bad or the offense is really good i think it could be both but you're looking at a team like oklahoma and why they get exposed in the college football playoff all the time it's because the other teams they're against can usually score 50 in the first three quarters yeah that's that's definitely true yeah i don't hate your pick scott quick uh quick quick a quick question for you who led the nation rushing yards last year uh bryce hall that's exactly right 1572 but i mentioned why i'm down in oklahoma uh do you have any counterpoints there because at the end of the day the defense is always going to be concerning with the Lincoln Riley team. I like the weapons. My really hot take, because I know he's projected to potentially be the number one pick in the draft. I don't think Spencer Rattler's that good. I'm the same. I'm the same. I don't think he's at that elite level that the press wants you to think he is. He's fine. Yes. If you're going to tell me he's the number one overall pick, I'll take Sam Howell. Yes. Yes, he looks... He looks much more NFL ready right now. Of course, you know, we've got a whole season to go, so we'll see what happens. I would probably, at this juncture, Scott, I would probably take Brock Purdy over Spencer Rattler. I would probably... See, that's where it's tough because I pick Iowa State to win the conference, but I think Rattler's more talented. The issue I have with Rattler is that he has a couple of games out of the year. He was better during the second half, but... There are some games, whether it was against Texas or Kansas State, where he just has about two to three interceptions that aren't even close. Like, you can't even make an argument it was a tipped pass or his arm got deflected or something. He just makes some really stupid throws all the time. Yep. Yep. No question about it. Of course, he was a freshman. So, you know. Yeah, I mean, he can improve. He improved as the season went on. But I have a hard time backing a guy who people think is he's the favorite to win the Heisman which makes sense because, you know, Oklahoma, whatever. But at no point do I think he's the best quarterback in the actual country. And I think he's going to fall apart and struggle in one of these games that they might lose in conference play, which Oklahoma, usually to Kansas State for some reason, but tends to stumble at some point. But I mentioned my issue with Oklahoma. I'll mention Iowa State. You got Purdy back, who's experienced. Hall's the best running back in the conference, arguably in the entire nation. He's fantastic. Uh, Iowa State doesn't bring back five offensive linemen, but they bring back seven with a combined 93 starts. So they are loaded up front, easily the best offensive line in the entire conference. Quality wide receivers, a lot of experience defensively. Plus, you want to look at some of their schedule. Uh, They play Texas at home, TCU at home, Oklahoma State at home. So three of their four toughest games in the conference are at home. I think that definitely helps out because we all know how good they are at Ames. They're very good at home. And they play Oklahoma on the road, yep. which is tricky. But I do think that since there are no divisions in the conference and you're looking at a situation where the top two teams in the Big 12 play each other, the fact that Iowa State has matchups against the second, the third best team, the fourth best team, and the fifth best team in the conference all at home, I think means Iowa State should probably make the conference title game. Okay, fair enough. Um, you taking Oklahoma or you're taking Iowa State? I can't. I can't take Oklahoma with that value. I I can't lay minus one seventy in a conference where everybody plays everybody else. I just think there's a. I have a sleeper, but Iowa State's my pick because they've been so close so many times, and they've had success against Oklahoma. Yep. In the regular season, mm-hmm. in the conference title game, they're usually right there, but something goes wrong and they'll lose a close game in the fourth quarter. At some point, I think Iowa State's going to break through. And based on the experience, the quality of players on offense and defense and the offensive line up front, I think this could be the year. All right. And I think I think there is good value there. I don't I don't I, I at plus two fifty, I, I think that's a solid play. And there's this I got two ninety. You've got two you've got two ninety. So yeah, you're yeah. you're even in better shape there. I don't really think there's anybody else on the board, Scott. I know your sleeper is going to be Oklahoma State, right? No. My sleeper is actually TCU. Oh, okay. All right. Which is a team that, don't get me wrong, will not make the conference title game, but they have a lot of returning players from last year. They have Dugan, a quarterback, who can run. Throwing, he might not be the greatest, but he's experienced. He's been there for a while. The defense was a bit of... I'd say 
well, they were good sometimes, not good other times, but they had a couple of injuries that definitely hurt them. They got a lot of guys back. Very, very talented running back group. So I do think that they should be able to play time possession, uh, time control football on offense. And Gary Patterson, the guy wins games, especially against Texas. TCU's done really well against Texas over the last couple of years, and they played Texas in TCU this season. I think TCU might be a team that can find its way to maybe nine wins. I actually think this team's a bit undervalued. Well, and of course, think? and of course, their win total is seven and a half. That's my favorite win total. I like the over seven and a half. Yeah, I think I think I think that's a solid play because they've got a, for starters, they've got a really uh, pretty Week out of conference, pretty easy non-con schedule. They've got Duquesne, uh, Cal, and SMU all at home. Yeah, uh, all at home. And then they play Texas at home. So we've talked about you know their mastery of Texas. By the way, if you're a Longhorn fan, is there anything worse than losing to TCU? Can you? I mean, you know, you lose to Oklahoma or whatever. I mean, I know that sucks, but man, I was gonna say losing to Maryland in the season opener. Yeah, but nobody cares about Maryland. That's man. And that t- happened. That happened twice though, didn't it? Yeah, they they were just laid an egg tw- twice in a row. So I don't. Yeah, I don't hate that. Anytime you've anytime you've got that that defense. For Gary Patterson, you've you've got a shot, but they just uh, they really they really kind of started the season stumbled out of the blocks, losing three of their first four. They lost to K State. Very uh, close game to Iowa State, though. Very close game to Iowa State. Well, they were all within until they got to Oklahoma. They were all within a score. So yeah, you know, but they you, you just can't recover going one and three to start the season. So yeah, I'm just looking at the home conference games, which you already talked about. But at home, they play Texas. They play West Virginia. They play Baylor and they play Kansas. Not to mention the out of conference games at home against Duquesne, California, and SMU. Now you can even pencil in Texas as a loss if you want to. I think they'll win the other six games. So you have six wins right there. If they beat Texas at seven, you play on the road against Texas Tech, and Tech's not any good. I mean, we are we already know that. And they play against Kansas State on the road, who might be okay, but they haven't exactly been good the last couple of years or as good as maybe you'd like them to be as a Kansas State fan. Right. I just think seven and a half is too low. I think this team could win eight or nine games. Okay. All right. Very solid. Yeah, they uh Kansas State really kind of had it kind of had a weird season. Like I said, they started off with that with that uh loss to Iowa State. They beat Texas and uh then everything just kind of uh they had a backup quarterback for basically the entire year. So well, and teams. that was that was that was a, a big problem with them too. Um, yeah, sorry, no, I was looking at, uh, I was I was looking at TCU. I was like, I was scrolling through, looking at the purple. No, this is a the the K State team. They started off, they lost Arkansas State, which was a horrible loss, probably probably the worst worst loss, and you know since I've been a fan. And then they reeled off four straight victories. They beat Oklahoma right out the the two weeks after losing to Ar- the Arkansas State. They beat Texas Tech, TCU, and of course Kansas, and then they just absolutely went in the crapper. Um, the defense just just f- ceased to exist, basically for Kansas State. So hopefully, Kleiman's got that fixed. We'll see. I've got my worries, Scott, because they went to a bowl game in Kleiman's first season, and then last year, as you start to see more of his players trickle in and Bill Snyder's uh, kids start to graduate. Uh, it looks like maybe the quality levels dropped off. So I'm gonna, I'm not gonna play my cats. I'm gonna, you know, of course, go to a couple games this year. So we'll see what happens with that. I want to talk about KU and their win total, Scott. You know what their win total is? I'm assuming it's one and a half. I wish it was. I wish, I wish that was the case, Scott. It is one. Ouch. It is one, and I don't know. I don't know what you do with that. You, you can't play it because they start with South Dakota. And it's KU, so there's no guarantees. They could absolutely... Is that, is that the Jackrabbits? Uh, no, they're the Coyotes. South Dakota State, State is the Jackrabbits. Jackrabbit. All right, so they start with the Coyotes. Uh, then they go to Coastal. Well, and then they go to Coastal, and they've got Duke, and then of course all the For, big, forget the big about it. Stuff. Then, then they go on to lose their last eleven games of the season. Yeah, I don't. There's not another. There's really not another winnable game. That's. that's I think maybe the last game against West Virginia. Maybe they can pull out a, a and sneak one, but I doubt it. Well, they they had the t- they had the kickoff return for a touchdown last year, Scott, to beat the number. Yep, I think they were twenty-four point dogs or thirty-point dogs or whatever, and they had the the kickoff return inside of a minute 
mm-hmm. to uh, to beat the spread. But this is, you know, when we talk about our previews, we talk about bad football teams, and this team isn't very good. This Kansas team is a new level of bad. They are, they are Akron Bowling Green bad. I would take them over New Mexico State this season, though. They're in that class. They're in the New Mexico State Matt, UMass type class. God, this is there is I don't is there any question this is the worst Power Five school? Not even close. No, I don't. I I agree. I don't. I don't even think it's close. So, I wish it was one and a half. If you can find one and a half anywhere, jump on the under. This is not. This is a team that does not win two games this year. So, well, you mentioned what Kansas win total is. I mentioned my favorite being. TCU over seven and a half at minus one eighteen on Fox bet. You have a favorite win total? Yeah, I there weren't, there weren't many that I liked. No, everything's everything seems everything seems pretty sharp. I would probably lean towards the Horn Frogs over seven and a half. Okay, so you're with me. Yeah, I'm with I'm with you on on. I don't know about them winning the the conference. I, I mean, I just threw out a sleeper at fourteen to one. I said they're not going to make. Yeah, it. yeah, I'm with you. As far as yeah, as far as a, a good pick, and that's a good number too, because they're they're twelve in a lot of places. So you're catching a good number, but they they start the season with three victories, and then they've got nine games against against big Big Twelve opponents. They should be able to pick up five more wins in those nine games. That's that's my. I think so. With Gary Patterson, they yep. usually go above five hundred in conference play. Yep, that's 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 my theory. You've got. You've got a bad Baylor team. You've got a bad KU team. So there's two automatic victories right there. You've got. A I don't pr- think West Virginia is very good. Yeah, I don't think I don't think West Virginia is very good. I don't think Texas Tech's going to be very good. So yeah, it's it's absolutely correct. So the do you still are you laying off of Oklahoma for the value? Do you really at the end of the day, if you had to bet both these teams straight up to win the conference, do you bet Oklahoma or Iowa State? Uh, assuming that I can't hedge or anything, like I have to ride with it. Right, odds. right. I would probably go Oklahoma just because of the fact that Iowa State hasn't done it before, so it's tough to actually back them with the same price, but that's why they're not the same price. And we both can agree that Rattler's not as good as people think. I still think he's better than Brock Purdy talent-wise, which is why I'm, ha- I'm having a little bit of a pause when it comes to fully both same odds taking Iowa State over Oklahoma, but 290 sounds like a gift to me because I think that those two teams, Oklahoma and Iowa State, are a lot closer than the media tries to indicate. Yep. So I think Iowa State could give them a real run for their money, but we talked about all those teams. There's one team that both of us don't exactly like to win the conference, but we haven't talked about them yet, and we kind of have to. Okay. We got to talk about Longhorn Nation Mm. because they're the most intriguing out of all the teams or just – the biggest potential dumpster fire. Either way, the media is going to love them. So, you have any thoughts on Texas? I'll let you go first. Well, I, they've got they've got kind of a. Uh, I, I like Sarkeesian. I think I think that's a good move, but I don't know. Do you like him year one? Yeah. See, I don't. I don't. Well, I don't like their quarterback situation. They've they've got they've got uh, Casey Thompson who played well and beaten Cal, beaten Colorado in the Alamo Bowl. Um, and then they've got Hudson Card, which I don't, I don't know much about him. He's a sophomore. Neither one of them are Sam Ellinger, Scott. And I just think a first-year coach with a first-year quarterback, starting quarterback, is a long road to hoe in this division. I agree, especially with the new coaching staff. Not to mention, obviously, Sarkeesian, Sarkeesian's new, excuse me. But you also got to remember he has six assistant coaches who weren't with the program last year. Right. That's a lot of new voices and maybe a lot of new techniques that they're trying to teach you that might not be able to – to go over well within the first couple of months to transition into an actual season. So it might take a year or two before you start to see some of the progress that you're talking about, some of the recruits in the pipeline. But as a whole, I was never a big Ellinger guy. I thought that he was a kind of a classic college quarterback who wasn't very accurate, but he was tremendously tough. And you felt good about having him late in the fourth quarter because you find out he's a, com- and- you find out he's a competitor. Un- yeah, on pretty much, yeah. That, that's kind of the bright spot of Ellinger where fourth and one, he's not afraid to truck three guys. Yeah, like, he's going to go down fighting, which is what you like. But he reminds me a lot of like what Bo Nix is now for Auburn. Yeah. You just look at him and just go, people told me he was supposed to be good, but I just don't see it. But 
I'm not going to get into a Bo Nix rant here who I've never been a fan of. But anyway, point is, is I don't exactly think that Texas's quarterbacks now are any better. And especially with the inexperience, there's one thing Ellender can give you, even if he wasn't the most talented guy, he's been everywhere. He's been to every road stadium. He knows how crazy the crowds are. You know, it's not going to rattle him. Right. That concerns me with Texas because of the lack of experience with the new system for win totals. I was thinking about Texas under, but there are some really weak teams at the bottom of this big 12. I've got that. I've got that at eight. You got an eight. Yeah. Eight. Uh, I was kind of hoping for an eight and a half to look at an under, but I think that'll be close because there's a lot of winnable games there for Texas, but I really don't see this team winning nine games or more. I, at least in this year, maybe next year. I'm curious to see what they do with the offense. Cause you've, you know, they've got B. John Robinson who I think he, he averaged like over eight yards a carry last year. Give him the ball. So that's, that's the thing. If, if Sarkeesian is going to try to be, you know, the offensive genius, I don't like their chances. If they just hand the ball to Robinson, you know, two out of three downs, I like their chances a lot better. Definitely fair. Uh, defense, oof. Is that a good way to put Texas? You always hear how talented it is, but yet they always give up 35 points per game. Yeah, I, I, I hear a lot of stories about how great this Texas front seven is and all that. They've got And they've got a lot of the, their defensive backfield is back. And Yeah, and then they give up like 30-something <laughs> points to Iowa State. And I'll go, be, what I'll, happened to the defense? Right, I'll believe it when I see it. So, all right, very good. Two down, three to go, my friend. Of course, you are listening to Winners and Winners Radio. Give us an hour. We'll give you some winners, and that's exactly what we're going to do right now, Scott. Put a little bow on the Big 12 and move on to baseball. I know, Scott, you're not a big... I mean, you like baseball. That's not really your... Are you ready for baseball to be over, be honest? No, because I've actually been profitable with baseball this season. Okay. All right. Very good. All Plus, right. my Yankees are actually watchable now. Yeah. Yeah. Good point. Very good point. So, very good. Um, we've got some plays tomorrow. We've got, it's Tuesday is usually one of our favorite days to do because there's no day games. Usually not much that we have to worry about as far as that goes. So I'll let you kick it off, buddy. What do you, what do you got for us? So looking at the card to start off, I know that this is going to be kind of obvious, but I got to mention it. Yell Lazardo on the mound against Fetty. I hate taking overs with Marlins games, but damn, Lazardo's bad. I, I got to look at the over eight and a half. He really is. He's had a uh, he's had a nine plus ERAs in his in his four starts there in Miami. You know, it's. I mentioned it when they acquired him that I thought they could have got more for Marte. He reminds me of like women that think they can change a man. You know, maybe maybe he's like a larper or he just sits in his basement playing games and like, well, you know what, I can change him. I think that's how that's how I view Lozardo because you get the A's three different times. They thought they could make a starter out of him, Scott. They'd see, they'd see him in the minors. They'd see him in the bullpen like, this guy is good. He's got good stuff. He's got to be a starter. And then he would just absolutely crap the couch. So they finally gave up on him. They traded him to Miami. And Miami says, you know, we're going to do anything. We're going to make him a starter. We Remember you mentioned the appeal with Lozardo was the fact that he was a good high school prospect. Yep. And Miami has a ton of years of control. Yep. Yep. They might want to cut him after the year. He's awful. Yeah, they're not going to cut him after the year. I'm, I'm joking. I'm just saying years of control matters if you can change the guy, but he's not very good. Well, we'll see. We'll see if if a, if a full off-season program and, and spring training, they can get some work done if they've got an idea what but what to change. I, I'll tell you. I'll tell you one thing so far. If they've figured out what his problem is, they're not able to fix it on the fly. Yep. Because it ain't it ain't fixed yet. So yeah, I think that's a. Uh, I think that's a legitimate uh, play. Eric Fetty has been uh, just below average all season. He's not Lazardo bad, but he's 20. Look at Nationals money line there too, but I, I just think that game might end up coming down to the wire because both bullpens are terrible. Right. Both starters are bad. I'll go with the over and hope one of the two starters blows up. How about all I do is win Chris Flexen, baby. All I do is all I do is get just collect that positive money. He's once again going up against Oakland and, and uh, Irvin. Seattle getting about plus 135, 134, somewhere in that neighborhood. Seattle to like flexing. That's right in his groove. Right. It's, it's, it's right in his wheelhouse. Seattle just had a nice come from behind victory last night against the uh, against the A's. I really liked it because they were able to keep the total under for me. So that was cool. I think I think flexing plus money. Sign me up, Scott. 
Yeah, I agree. I, I think Irvin, based on recent performances, should be closer to 130, mm-hmm. give or take. But 145, 150 sounds a bit too high. Yep, yep, exactly right. They opened it at minus 140, and the A's money has come in. So we'll see. I think we're we're fading the public, and that rarely is a bad place to be, my friend. I got another question for you. What you got? How are the Mets favored tomorrow? Hmm. How are the Mets favored tomorrow? Over it's mostly Pickham, but I see a couple of minus one fifteens with McGill against Long. Don't you just blindly take the underdog with the Giants? I don't know anything about Long, Scott. Uh, I know that him and McGill have been. Above average, but I think we can agree the Mets haven't exactly won many games over the last month. The Mets and the have Giants are really, really good at finding ways to win games they shouldn't win. Yeah, the Mets have not been good at winning games, no question about it. Sammy Long, buddy. Sammy Long made, uh, oh, what do we got? Eight appearances, three starts. Looks like he's been, uh, meh. Okay, yeah. Uh, you know, and McGill is a guy. Better, but McGill is a guy we got great value on early in the season, and then all of a sudden, yeah, he just kind of went off the wall there. So, whatever. Oh, don't get me wrong. McGill has been the better pitcher this season than Long, but you're looking at the Giants, who have the best record in the league, 80 wins, and they're plus 101. I mean, how often do you get the Giants as an underdog against the Mets? Yep, agreed. I agreed. I think you got to play. I got to play. You got to play the Giants right there. All right, my friend. Well, we have reached that time in this show. We are close to the end. We are close to that time where we put our heads together, come up with our very best play on the day. If you had to put all of those chips in the middle with just one game on the line, this would be it. Get your overalls on. Put that straw hat on your head. Climb on the John Deere because it is time for Bet the Farm! So, for this Bet the Farm play, we're going to be looking at baseball, and there's one matchup we didn't mention, and it involves the Baltimore Orioles, because, wow, that's a team you got to fade all the time. <laughs> and we're going to fade them, because we like the Angels on the money line at around minus 135 on Bet Online, traveling to Camden Yards, take on the Orioles. The Orioles, as everyone knows, have lost 18 straight games. Dylan Bundy on the mound for the Angels, I know his overall numbers this season are not great. However, last month, he's been a lot better. 19 and a third innings pitched, 3.72 ERA. Plus, if you forgot, he used to pitch for the Orioles, so he has a lot of experience in this ballpark at Camden. I think he'll look pretty solid. It's kind of like a weekend Trubisky revenge game, right? Is that one way to put it? Yes. But anyway, I think Bundy pitches okay here. Meanwhile, you have Watkins on the mound for Baltimore, (sighs) and if you think Bundy's bad, Watkins might even be worse because he's been awful all year long in August alone. Watkins has pitched 19 and two-thirds innings, 8.24 ERA, and the Orioles have not fared well whenever Watkins pitches. The Orioles have lost each of Watkins' last five starts by at least four runs. At the end of the day, by sheer principle, you're fading a team that's lost 18 straight games at minus 135. Sure, we'll take the Angels. Yep, absolutely, absolutely correct. If you wanted to play... The run line there at uh, you're catching catching plus one hundred. I don't hate that, but Scott, that's a, that's just to me. There's no there's not enough value on the between the difference on the money line and the run line. I think I, we just play the money line there. I agree with that play. Hard to disagree with fading the Baltimore Orioles right now. They have been world class bad. Eighteen straight. They have lost sixteen of those eighteen games by three runs or more. Just absolutely a brutal stretch. Fade the Orioles. That is our bet the farm play for this day of tuesday so that is going to do it for the show as always thanks very much for checking us out thanks for listening don't forget to check out our youtube channel if you want to uh, see more videos from scott and i and of course if you're on the go and you need to get the uh, you need to get our show downloaded make sure you check it out on all the various pod- podcast platforms check your local check your favorite podcast platform for our show winners and winners radio so for myself for Scott Reichel, for the whole team over here at winnersandwinners.com. We appreciate you guys listening, watching, participating, all that good stuff. Good luck on all your plays today. Come back and see us tomorrow on Winners and Winners Radio. Take care, everybody.